That was better. Elliot, I want to start the podcast off by talking to one person and one person only, Mark Connors in Halifax. If you're listening, what you went through was garbage. And Elliot feels the same way I do, who feels the same way that Amel does. This is a place that supports you. This is a place that stands up for you. And we wish you nothing but the best of success in your goaltending career. Freach? I really believe this. Sometimes it's too silent, but I do believe it's the silent majority support you too and are happy to have you in the game, Mark. Amen. With that, we'll kick it off. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast brought to you by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. It's always a big story when someone says this team is for sale and the commissioner comes out and says, hold on, not so fast. Case he in point. rejects it into the stands <laughs> like a Dikembe Mutombo oh. in the late 90s. No, no, no. With the finger wag. I have actually have a Dikembe Mutombo story, Elliot. Um, not from when I covered the NBA because that's your thing on the <laughs> podcast. But I remember running into him. Well, not running into him, but seeing him walk through the airport in Philadelphia. And I remember saying to myself, how kind of bad it must have been to be him because everywhere he went like everyone just stood and gawked at like one if you knew who he was it's like hey check it out it's Matumbo but if you didn't it's like wow this guy's enormous I have to tell you he's one of the friendliest people I've ever met covering sports like I've heard that just a really and he he didn't know me from any other reporter and he was always Gracious with his time and friendly. Anyway, we got off track. That's great. We did. Uh, let's talk about Arizona and the Forbes story of Michael Lazanian. Um, the Arizona Coyotes are for sale. The Arizona Coyotes are going to move to Houston. The Coyotes organization quickly threw water on that fire as the commissioner of the NHL. But what do you make of all this, Elliot? So I think the thing that Arizona, the Coyotes organization and their fans have to realize, and they don't like it, they won't like to hear it, but until we have clarity on what their playing situation is for next year, I just think these stories are going to keep coming up. And especially as we get later and later into the year, until we know for sure where they're playing, I think they're going to have to deal with, with these kinds of rumors. And I know that's going to be frustrating for them and their fans. I know it's going to be infuriating for them and their fans, but I, I think it's just the way it's going to be until there's an answer. Yeah. It's got to be awful being like, how many times have we said this before? It's really challenging to be a fan of the Arizona coyotes. And this is a market that gets pounded on consistently. I really want this market to do well. I really like going to see coyotes games. Like I, don't like the drive to Glendale, but, you know, I like watching hockey games there. Having said all that, it's tough to be a fan when you don't know where your team's going to be the following season. And Glendale's already said it's not going to be here and nobody knows. There's a number of different ideas of what they could do mm-hmm. with the organization next season. Maybe we'll do that on a podcast somewhere down the well, road. No, we, we can talk about that a bit. What are the options then, Elliot? For Arizona. I think we should say, because this always should come up earlier than it did here, is that Gary Bettman's history is he's not taking a team out of a market until there's absolutely no options left. That's what happened with Atlanta. Yeah, There were no options left. They didn't want to own it. There was nowhere else to go. And that was the end of the Thrashers. We're not there yet with Arizona. And until it's all done, Mm -hmm. they're staying. Years ago, he said to me in an interview I did with him when I was doing NH, uh, Hockey Night in Canada radio that I remember asking him, when do you know a team is done in a market? And his answer was simple, when no one wants to own it there anymore. And we're not at that place yet in Arizona. That might not be the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but that's the answer from the NHL. As long as someone wants to own it there, there's going to be a team there. It's that simple. Okay, so there's a couple ways to look at this. First of all, I want to address the Houston angle for a sec, and then we'll go back to the possibilities in Arizona. Houston, I think it's very fair to say, and you've talked about this before, about how Houston makes a lot of sense 
for the NHL. Aside from Mexico City, where I'm not counting on expansion, it's the largest market in North America without a team. And you know that the NHL would like to do that because it's a big market, potentially, and it gives Dallas a rival. Here's the problem with Houston. A few years ago, there were rumors that Tillman Fertitta had some interest in an NHL team, and I believe he met with the league. The problem I heard coming out of that was, I should say, Fertitta's the owner of the Houston Rockets and the NBA and the arena there. The problem I heard was he really wasn't interested in the NHL at the number the NHL would want him to buy a team for. Like, you're not selling the team below market, especially now that Pittsburgh just got 500 for Vegas and Seattle 650, and now Pittsburgh, we believe, 875. You know, so you're not doing it at a number less than you think is market. And I heard that what they considered market at the time It's not what Fertitta wanted to do. And he was more interested in an NHL team coming to his city as a tenant to his arena. The NHL won't want that. Now, what I do think is possible at some point, who solves a lot of these problems for the NHL? Tim Laiwicki, Oakview Group. Seattle, they couldn't get an arena done for a long time. That's why it took a while for the Kraken to get into the NHL. Suddenly, Laiwiki steps up, helps get it done, plays a big role in it, and now we have a Kraken in the National Hockey League. If you were to tell me that Tim Laiwiki, for example, was going to end up going into Houston, building an arena, and the NHL would be the primary tenant, I could see that. But, you know, we're not talking next season. Let's just say it happens soon. We're talking, you know, three to five years. Mm -hmm. So from what I understand about Fertitta and Houston and the NHL, unless opinions have changed, it wasn't yet in the ideal situation for the NHL either. All right, then here becomes the question. What are some of the options for the Arizona Coyotes as soon as next season? Well, we know that they want to do the arena in Tempe, right? And yes. this one is a little bit out of my element because you hear, I'm not down there. I don't have boots on the ground. And you hear so many rumors about whether or not they're going to be able to get it done. You know, the Coyotes talk confidently that they'll, they're hoping they'll be able to get it done. You know, I had a couple of people that sent me a, a Reddit forum where there was some posts from someone who clearly appeared to have some knowledge who wrote that he or she believed that it was going to be a big challenge because of some legal decisions that were handed down recently and that wasn't necessarily good news for the Coyotes. I don't know the landscape as well as I'd like to, and my boots aren't on the ground there. But it's a challenge. There's no question. What I've wondered is, if Arizona can get the commitment, if they can't play in their current arena next year, and we all believe they're not going to do it, Mm -hmm. what are your options? There's been reports about Chase Field. There's Arizona State. There's the, the Veterans Arena. You know, one of the things somebody was kind of saying to me was, could we see a situation where they play in a bunch of different places in the Valley for a year or two? Do they simply say, we're going to play some of our home games at Arizona State? Are we going to play some of our home games in the Veterans Arena? Are we going to play some of our home games potentially even in Glendale if we wanted to? Could we play some of our home games at... Chase Field, if that, for example, is an option. Tucson, too. Like, it's not ideal, but is that at all a conversation if they know they're going to get an arena? I mean, the thing I feel badly for their fans is, you know, the people who really care about the Coyotes, and you said it, until we know there's going to be all these crazy rumors, and you're just like, oh my God, am I going to have to react to all of these things every day? Is there any chance they could play in another market temporarily? You might as well just take them out, right? No. I mean, this is... Once you break that umbilical cord... Nah, I don't know about that. I mean, as long as... You don't, eh? If you know that there's a rink coming, like, how dire is the situation going to be? Like, I know the idea of, you know, being this... Like, what, you say, like, take it to Kansas City for two years and then bring it back? Correct. Oh, I, I don't like that idea at all. Hey, listen, man, we're talking about, you know, this is like Team Nomad bouncing around all these uh, arenas in Arizona. At least they're in the market. I get it. I'm just saying, like, what would have to be on the table for this? Like, if that, okay, let's say that that didn't work out for whatever logistical reason. Could you see a scenario where, 
they're out of market for two years and then come back. You know what that's like? That's like when you're 17 <laughs> or 18 years old and a couple goes decides to go to university in different cities and you're like- Always works. Don't worry. <laughs> in two years, I'll be there for you. Doesn't work in most cases. You know what? Part of the conversation is always the funniest one. When one of the two says, we're mature, we can do this. Whenever I find that someone says, we're mature, we can do this, nothing mature ever happens. Have you ever noticed that in yes. life? <laughs> Especially when people I know are involved. This reminds me of a funny story. I remember one time, oh my God, this is, we're at university and we come home for a weekend and my buddies and I, we all meet up to play cards and we all go to school in different places. And, uh, you know, one of my friends was going through a breakup and, uh, you know, he was going, it was, it was tough and we were trying to support him. And, and he says that his girlfriend at the time, you know, before they broke up, they said like, you know, we need our, uh, we, you know, we need our separate time or I need my separate time. And, you know, he's trying to manage his way through it. And she, and she said to him, well, you know, it's like a bird. If you let the bird fly and it comes back to you, you know, it's love. And we all looked at him and said, you're doomed. Like you're, ju- you're just doomed. Did you look back in 15 years? What was I thinking? Give my head a shake here. Well, we were we were right. Like I have to say, it never they never got back together. But uh, shocking, shocking developments. Now that we've completely lost our train of thought, <laughs> I don't like that idea. Like you can't break the umbilical cord. I I, I don't think you can do that. Okay, Elliot, let's turn attention now to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I'm going to flip this one. It was the worst of times. It was the best of times. Uh, Wednesday was the worst of times, a 6-2 loss at the hands of the Vancouver Canucks. They get on a plane. They fly to Carolina to face off against the Hurricanes. The general manager, Pierre Dorian, on the flight with the team. There's trouble. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. And they pull one out against one of the top teams in the NHL, the Carolina Hurricanes. 3-2 is the final. Anton Forsberg stands on his head as the Ottawa Senators are outshot 49-20, to but they come away with the win for each. That was a schedule loss. They, they were set up to be hammered in that game. One of the things about Carolina is if you get a back-to-back with them yeah, it's tough. going in there or leaving there, where you're coming in and out of can really be a challenge because it can be a little bit remote. Not too long ago, Philly played on a Friday there, won, and then they had to go to Dallas, which is a three-plus-hour flight, and they lost the next night. Ottawa loses at home. they got to go into Carolina where the Hurricanes, a real good team, are sitting and waiting for them. That was a schedule loss. And in a year that's not going very well, Anton Forsberg steps up and delivers. That was a 25 out of 10 performance. Outshot 49 <laughs> to 20, up to nothing. They got it tied one. And, you know, the other thing too is they found a way to win in regulation. Brady Kachuk on the Wednesday hockey game, we interviewed him at the bench and I asked him about what he's learned as a captain in 26 days. And actually it was Carolyn who suggested I ask that question. And the one thing he talked about was being positive, no matter how bad it is, trying to be positive. And he made a huge play at the end of regulation to clear the puck on the Hurricanes' last rush. I know it's not exactly – who's your favorite artist? Is it Picasso? You know, Jeff, do you have a – are you an Edward Munch guy? Like, I don't know. That was not a Picasso or a Munch, but you need someone to step up and steal you a win – Forsberg did it for them. I'm an Alex Gray guy myself. Uh, that should come mm. as no surprise to you. Um, listen, that was really impressive and and good on the Ottawa Senators. That's a real tough one. Things still aren't exactly peachy uh, in the nation's capital here in Canada with the Ottawa Senators. You know, does this just you know buy them a couple of days uh, of positive press, or do they just? go right back to hammering on this organization in your estimation. Well, look, I mean, it's one win in a in a tough season, but at least you feel better about yourself in that moment. When you have young kids 
who are in the middle of losing, you have to grasp onto anything that makes you feel good. Yeah. And tonight they're going to look at Forsberg as they get onto the plane. And, you know, hopefully they formed a, a large unit to carry Forsberg onto the plane because <laughs> he probably needed it. But, you know, they're going to look at Forsberg tonight and they're going to say, man, you gave us a good feeling that we desperately needed. And that's not insignificant. You know, Kyle Bakakis on the Wednesday Night Hockey showed that shot of the front office sitting apart, a section apart. Like, oh, boy. Those are tough. And um, the thing I, I'd, I'd worry is that when you have young players, and just I know this is tough for Senators fans to do, but just leave the status of the organization out for a second. When I look at that lineup of young players, Kachuk, Shabbat, who I think has played very well this year for a lot of the year, you know, Norris. Pinto, even though he's been hurt, Batherson, you know, all the young guys you've got there and the ones that aren't there yet that are, are coming, you know, the Sandersons, the Bernard Dockers, those kinds of players. I believe in it. And I think their fans want to believe in it. Look, there's a lot of rumors, you know, is, is Melnick selling, you know, what's kind of going on behind the scenes there. You know, he's still talking about a downtown arena. I mean, things are kind of all over the place. They're all over the map. You know, the commissioner protects his owners, and I get that. That's his job. You know, I, I get it. I just wonder, at what point do you say, we've got this group of young guys here, and we can't let the overall instability or the way the franchise is run at the top affect them? Because right now you're worried that they're getting used to losing. I don't think they accept losing. I don't think that's right. But you get used to losing, and losing becomes a part of your existence. I've seen too many young players in sports, not just hockey, be affected by losing. It hurts their careers. And, you know, Jeff, that's why I, I look at, you know, at some point in time, is the league going to have to step in here and say, we have to have this franchise run a different way? It's not enough to just say, look, like, and I know there are people in Ottawa who believe this, we get a downtown arena and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, but even if they put the shovel into the ground tomorrow, how long is that away? You have to build stability around these players. You have to give them a feeling that they've got a chance to win. And um, I just think right at the top, I just wish the league would get to a point where they'd step in and say, okay, there's a way we're going to demand that this organization is right. General managers hate it when you redo drafts. I remember I would always bring it up with Doug McLean when we worked together and he would roll his eyes and I could see him clenching his fist. Because he knew what was going to come up. Yeah, I know. There's been a couple of them. Hey, Zherdev, if you go back not that long ago to the 2020 NHL draft, stop me when you think I've hit the best player. Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla, Raymond, Sanderson, Drysdale, Holtz, Quinn, Rossi. Oh, I, think you, I think you've passed it already. Yeah, <laughs> it's, Is it Lucas Raymond? Oh, I think so. Right now it sounds it like it to me. Right now it is, isn't it? See, I'm not freaking out as much over what's going on with Stutzla. Uh, you know, I, I just think the guy's a really talented player. It's a tough year this year. Yeah. But I, I still believe in, in Stutzla a lot. Uh, but I, I would say that Raymond is is right now the best player. Look, I mean, Team Sweden, uh, Aftonblad, uh, the, one of the newspapers out there, uh, reported that Sweden is asking to have him added to the Olympic list. And if you're doing that, you're doing that because he's a legitimate option for you. Yeah. I mean, the biggest question I have is, and I have a vote, and I think you do too, you know, if you're voting for Calder today, who's your Detroit pick? Are you voting for Sider? Are you voting for Raymond? Uh, we've talked about my default setting before. It's always defense. Yeah. Specifically at this age, if you can excel on the blue line at this age, that carries more favor with me. Listen, what Lucas Raymond is doing here, 22 points in 24 games, 10 goals, and some of the goals are just gorgeous. His release, uh, his shot is just next level and playing top line. And I don't know. I, I, I love Mo Sider and we've talked about, you know, the Cromwell comparisons and everything. And despite all of these reasons why I should be voting for Moritz Sider, I'm taking Lucas Raymond. He's, he's just too good. He's doing it from the wing too. Like normally the centers really stand out. The defensemen stand out. The goalies stand. He's doing this as a winger. 
And I know that, you know, Dylan Larkin's having a real good season. Like that whole top line, I know that Tyler Bertuzzi's out on the COVID-19 protocol. Even the Robbie Fabry looked really good on Wednesday night playing left wing on that line. He's part of like one of the best lines in the NHL already. And he's a big part of it. Voting right now, Lucas Raymond's my guy. Like we talked the other day on, on radio, I think we were talking about who else could even challenge him at this point. Well, Cider. Hasn't he already pulled away from Cider? See, here's the thing about Cider. Like, Cider's, like, within, what, two weeks became Detroit's best defenseman. Mm -hmm. There's no looking back. I know there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do in Detroit, but, man, already, like, you got two amazing pieces here, and there are more players coming. It's going to take longer than perhaps Eisenman originally planned. We talked about that last year at the draft. But am I allowed to say that it's fun to watch the Red Wings again because they've won four games in a row and I find myself stopping on Red Wings games when I'm bouncing around for each? I think they are fun to watch. And and I thought something really important happened to them the other night. They won a game without Bertuzzi because some of the games that they've played without him, they've been just clobbered. I thought the fact that they won without him, I I thought that was huge for them. Raymond, I think right now would probably be my vote. I'm with you on that. I think Sider will have something to say about it. I think Zegris will still have something to say about it. Dawson Mercer. Well, I'm just wondering if his offense might be taken away now that Hughes is coming back. But Mercer, I absolutely think, is in the conversation. Sadly, Bowen Byram's health uh, looks like it's going to kind of knock him out of the race, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I hope he's okay. You know, there's a couple of really interesting things here, and that is some of the older guys, like Nedeljkovic, like Bunting. Mm-hmm. I really hate that older thing. It does make me crazy as a voter. The difference between a 20-year-old and, say, a 24 or 26-year-old. It, it does drive me bananas. Don't like the Kaprizov one at then. It's no, I, I had no problem with it because I think if you're if you're eligible under the rules, you're eligible under the rules. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes I do think it's it's too wide. I'm just talking about this off the top of my head, so I admit I don't have a great solution for it right here. Yeah. But sometimes I, I do find it very hard to decide how do I vote between a twenty year old and a twenty five year old. It it makes me fret. <laughs> These are the things that keep you awake. Oh, these are the things that keep you, uh, you know, flipping to the cold side of the pillow at night. Is no, that- I'll tell you what's keeping me awake right now is one of my buddies remembering that that conversation was about him and him calling me tomorrow angry about. <laughs> you brought up the the bird is free conversation on your pod. Well, you might as well just say his name then, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know we're really going offline here, but I did that once on the air. Yeah, don't do that. It really caused a problem, so I'm not doing that again. There's- there's as they say there's no win there no there definitely isn't hey you know who's winning this season so far mm-hmm. for shine time ebugs is this going to be the year of the ebug elliot i have to find out about this a little bit more but again we've talked about whether or not they'll go to this it's starting allowing teams some roster relief yeah, Doug Armstrong has to be doing a slow burn because oh, he already did it once. Man, he already talked about it once when he wanted to bring up Perunovic, and because of his bonuses, he couldn't do that. And he campaigned the league about it, didn't go anywhere. And now on Thursday night, he's got to he can't call up uh, a regular backup goalie. He's got to use the emergency backup because again of COVID because Bennington's in the protocol, right? They're on the road in Tampa. Colorado's situation was a little bit different because Kemper got hurt in the morning at the skate, and it took them a while to get their backup in from the American Hockey League, the Eagles, so they had to use the the e-bug for a little bit as a backup. But as the COVID cases increase, Jeff, I can only imagine how much this is going to become a battle. You think they'll be allowed to carry an extra goaltender on the road? I don't know that. I don't want to say that. I know they want to. The league has really pushed back against it. Mm-hmm. I know they want to. I don't know that's going to be allowed. Teams are starting to get really mad about things behind the scenes. They're getting mad about the roster situation, and they're getting mad about the Olympic situation. Although I think the Olympics are really trending. I think even some of the players are beginning to realize now that this quarantine in, in China is not not feasible. 
Well, and every day, like, what do I kick off my radio show with uh, almost every day? It's like COVID-19 protocol roll call. It's okay. It's Brendan Gallagher and Niku and it's Dustin Tokarski and, you know, uh, Thursday night, it's Justin Falk. And before that, it was Jordan Bennington and Tyler Bozak. Like, I'm with you. This is going nowhere good. I don't know at what point you start to have the conversation about participation. I know we're still about a month and a half away from having to make a decision, but I don't know. They have to start at least having a couple of thoughts about it, right? Well, I, I just think they'll wait until as late as they can possibly make it. But I think we can all see where this is trending. I think now that the teams feel that they're going to, that the Olympic argument is trending that way, I think they're really going to start fighting the roster argument. I don't know if they're going to win. I have a better understanding of the league's thinking on this one after talking to some people about it. Like, I would use it as bonuses. Yeah. That if you can't fit a person under the cap this year, it's a penalty next year. I just think COVID is something we can't control. Everybody but one player is vaccinated. I don't think that the punishment should be what it looks like it's going to be. Malcolm Subban goes from the Chicago Blackhawks organization to the Buffalo Sabres organization. Mm -hmm. What does this say about Craig Anderson? Or is this just a reflection of Dustin Tokarski's in COVID-19 protocol? I think it says something about Anderson, unfortunately. You know, I heard Malcolm Subban was really excited when he heard. Oh, good. Because he's in Rockford in the American Hockey League. You know, you want to be in the NHL. He's going to get a chance to play for Buffalo. I, I heard he was very excited to go. Like, as we've talked about, I think the Sabres feel that they owe it to their players to try to give them a bit of support. But, you know, what it says to me, unfortunately, that Anderson's not in a great spot. And, and you know, they, they generally haven't been happy with Dell, who gave them at least a good start tonight. Florida was starting to come back. But I, I just feel that Buffalo felt they needed help. And Subban was the quickest place to go get it. Mm -hmm. And they knew he'd be happy coming there. So I think that that's part of the decision making. Speaking of happy, a lot of smiles around Dallas uh, these days. Uh, one, do you have a thought on Rick Bonus, 2,500 games? And do you have a thought on the Dallas Stars who have now ripped off five wins in a row, got themselves out of some heat? I mean, the fire was really getting turned up in Dallas not too yes. long ago, but they're trending in the in the right direction here, Freege. And what I listen, if you want to look at a save sequence this week, uh, good luck finding something better than Braden Holtby. It's always good when you see the Scorpion save. Like four of them. Absolute multi larceny. Grand larceny. Grand larceny. Take your pick. Bang. No. Denied. Svechnikov. Unbelievable performance from Holpe, who gets to 40. Shades of Mika Kiprasov uh, back in the day for the Calgary Flames. Anyway, uh, thought of the Dallas Stars and a thought on Rick Bonus. You know, I'm happy for bonus 2,500 games. You know, we've said before that we're, you know, happy for his opportunity to get back to be a head coach. I think he wanted one more chance and he got it. It happened under unusual circumstances, but he got it. And I, I think it meant a lot to him. 2,500 games, his whole family, I understand, was there, mm. including grandkids came down to watch it. That's a lot of coaching. That is a lot of coaching. <laughs> you know, the thing about Dallas is, is is interesting to me is, you know, first of all, they got a really hot line. And secondly, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was that Riley Tuft story. And I was concerned about what that was going to mean for the Stars. I have seen situations where that derailed teams. When you have a young player who's going home or a player who's going home and they're excited about the whole situation, and they think they're in the lineup, and all of a sudden they're not. That happened to Kyle Turris when he was a member of the Arizona, then Phoenix Coyotes. He was scratched at home in Vancouver, and it ruined the It was one of the things that damaged the relationship between Turris and the Coyotes. There was Jason Spetz's first game in Toronto where he was a scratch, and that absolutely caused a problem among the team and the coach, and it caused a wedge that wasn't fixed. 
And so I thought in that situation, you really have to manage that properly because it's not only the players upset, the other players are upset. Yeah. So, you know, I think the fact that Dallas put a win streak together after that, that it shows a lot because it's, it's very easy to go in the other direction. And Almo, by the way, Almo just jinxed it because he sent a text while we were talking about this, the in-season Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah. Almo, the game's still going on. And they're tied. If they lose tonight to Columbus and Carolyn gets the cup, this is all Ooh. your fault. That's right. There it is in the in-season cup in Dallas. Oh, Emil. Now, people will be happy for Carolyn because she needs some support in this competition. Yeah. Come on, Elliot. No, I want to win by more. <laughs> heartless. Just heartless. <laughs> Do you get the feeling that I do, which is... Jake DeBrusque is going to go somewhere else and light it up and turn into like the 30 goal, 35 goal guy somewhere because we know we have it in him. I know we know we, we know he has it in him. That's how I feel about Jake DeBrusque. That he's going to go somewhere and torch it. Just the relationship with Boston has just been so sour for so long. It's time. And, and I do think the Bruins are trying to do it. The tough thing for the Bruins is that, you got Marchand suspended. You got injuries. You can't call up players. It's kind of an ugly scenario for them. You know, they've got games in hand, but it's going to be a fight for them right now, right? Just, just so our listeners understand, they can't call up players from Providence because the Providence Bruins are going through a COVID situation, an outbreak there, so they can't call anybody up. Just so our listeners know. Sorry, go ahead. You're right. Thank you very much for clarifying that, Jeff, in, in, in case people needed more of the information. I just think that Boston, they can't afford to make their team worse. Mm -hmm. So any deal they're making, you know, like sometimes if you've built up a cushion, you can say, okay, we're, you know, we can try something here or you're at a different point. But Boston wants to make the playoffs. They're in a battle. Um, there's some separation between them and the other teams in their division right now at the top. You're in a position where if you're trading him, you need help, immediate help back mm -hmm. or knowing that you can make another move to get immediate help once you do it. I do think they want to accommodate him. I do. It's just that it's not always easy so quickly. Okay. Um, before we get to uh, some emails here at 32thoughtsofsportsnet.ca or uh, some thought line comments at 1-833-311-3232. Again, say it slower, dummy. Not everyone's holding a pen. I was once reminded. 1-833-311-3232. Um, how are you DMs these days? That's a good question, Jeff. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some DMs I received because there were a few of them, more than normal about one of the notes I had in the blog, there were there were a few people who had very measured and thoughtful takes disagreeing with my position on Rod Brindamore's fine. My reaction was basically, I didn't see the big deal. And I had several direct messages, more than normal, which is why I'm, I'm mentioning it, of people arguing politely but passionately that I missed the mark on this one. So I said, you know what? I'll give some equal time. And uh, Tyler Anderson is one person. I asked him if I could read parts of his uh, note, and uh, he said no problem. So because there were a lot of you who disagreed with me, I'm just going to give you a bit of equal time here because there were so many. So Tyler writes, hey, Elliot, I'm pretty disappointed that in your 32 Thoughts article, you said what Rod Brindamore did wasn't that bad and even made a joke about it. Across North America and across all sports, we have youth league officials quitting or not enrolling at rates we've never seen before, due in large part to the abuse directed them by coaches and parents and even kids. While I understand things were a bit different at the NHL or professional level than the youth level, he felt that it far exceeded normal coach-referee interaction. Uh, I was glad to see the NHL step in with a fine because that's behavior that should not be tolerated at all at any level of sport. The life lesson in disagreement isn't to lay into someone and shout at them. Maybe that was okay in previous generations, but it's certainly not anymore. And whether professional or not, no one deserves that. It's been saddening and eye-opening to me watching and reading so many people joke about this fine, insinuate that what he did has a place in the NHL. I think that's basically his feeling. Like I said, I don't completely agree with it, but you know, the one thing I completely agree with is that Way too much abuse is happening of youth officials. 
I don't think that because Rod Brindamore did it, it's acceptable for youth officials to do it. I'm still concerned that this overall memo and suspension is more punitive than it is about anything else. But I wanted to say that Tyler Anderson and a few other people sent similar notes, and I just wanted to give them equal time. That's all. I think officials basically are are fine getting barked at. I think that's baked into the pie. Like that's in an official's DNA. I do think there's a line. Though. Yes. And I think we all think that there's a line. I know this used to be true. I think it is still true, perhaps to a lesser extent now, that officials wear the ability to be thick-skinned like a badge. We've seen officials take it and sometimes give it back. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. That's just sort of part of the, the official's DNA. Like, I don't like it at the listen, at the youth levels, and I see it, and everything, like any hockey mom or dad will tell you, Elliot, the minute you're, you know this, you're a parent, the minute, you know, you have a kid, everything changes. Certainly when you have a kid in sports, it changes. And I don't like seeing it at the youth level, either in the stands or behind the bench. Like, it's... I would hope that every youth league, not just hockey, boys, girls, anyone... Youth leagues at all ages could send that a note out and say, if you think that this is something you're going to get away with, well, we're going to throw the book at you. I would be fine at that. I do think at a higher level, and actually Steph says this to me, She sometimes she worries that I'm going to get in trouble because it really does take a lot to bother me or offend me. I don't think anybody should have to put up with racial abuse. I don't think anybody should have to put up with abuse, but I think that the higher you get up and the more that there is at stake, the more you recognize that you have to, there's a lot of things you have to shrug off. And I don't think I'm being a hypocrite because there's a lot of things that I shrug off that I take that I think a lot of other people wouldn't take. But I think the, the key thing to me, Jeff, is I would like to know maybe what the NHL needs to do is say, this is what we found that we didn't like. Because from the video I saw, I didn't think he was way out of line. And you know what? Like Fans ask for their players and their coaches and their organizations to be as invested as they are. If I was a Carolina Hurricanes fan, I think they are. They'd probably think, like, I know every night when I pay for my ticket, Rod Brindamore is going to coach that team to give them every dollar's worth that I have. And there's a lot at stake. There's millions at stake. These games have huge ramifications. I think at the pro level, there has to be a bit more of a line. But maybe what has to happen is the league has to come out and say, this is what Rod Brindamore did, so we all know the answer. Anyway, like I said, I I wanted to give equal time because Tyler wasn't the only person who wrote. There were like six or seven very similar arguments. And anytime it's like that, I think, you know what, give people the voice, particularly if they think I'm wrong on this issue, Mm -hmm. um, because... If you're going to tell me I'm wrong, but you come at me with a good argument like Tyler and some others did, what's wrong with sharing it? Let's get to some emails and see if we can squeeze in a phone call or two as well. Okay, so Elliot, a couple of podcasts ago, we had a gentleman by the name of Miko from Finland write us in and ask about players who missed their chance to play in the Olympics. They missed their Olympic win. Remember that one? Yes. So uh, we said we would follow up. I threw out there a couple of names, one Mark Giordano and the other Taylor Hall. Dino emails in on the same subject as players who missed the Olympic window. And this is what Dino says. As a Winnipeg Jets fan, I'm disappointed that Dustin Bufflin missed playing on an Olympic team during his peak. As a Canadian, I'm quite thankful that he didn't have the chance to stop McDavid, Crosby, and others in the Olympics, however. So I want to read something here to you. So I miss Bufflin, by the way. I, I do. Dude, this game misses him. I miss Bufflin in the NHL. I really do. I want that guy back in the NHL yesterday. Loved watching him play. Yeah. So uh, Willie Donick, play-by-play voice, Nashville Predators, send me this DM after hearing the podcast. Jeff, catching up on the pod, good stuff on the topic of players who missed their Olympic window. My Nashville nominee is Pekka Rinne. Mm. Hadn't quite established himself in 2010 yet. Maybe he should have made it in retrospect. Backstrom, Kiprasov, Nidamaki had a freak hip infection in 2014, missed 50 games. 2018 would have been the year, Vesna season. He was the MVP of the World Championships in 2014, but never got to represent Finland in the Olympics. 
Bummer. Interesting that Saros may get the chance this year if things fall right. So that would be Willie Donick's nominee for players who missed their Olympic window. And I'll just listen for each. Throw this out to anyone listening right now. This one could be an interesting uh, conversation starter. If you can think of any other ones, I threw Giordano, Taylor Hall, uh, Willie throws Pecorine out there. If anyone out there can think of any other obvious ones, and this doesn't just have to be at the most recent Olympics, but previous as well, send them in. I think this one, Fridge, could really be some fertile ground here on the podcast. That's that's a great it's a great gem. Pecker Renee's a good call. Yeah, that's a great one. I was on the radio with Willie on uh, on Thursday in Nashville. I have a regular radio hit in Nashville on Thursdays. Didn't mention anything about it. I guess what happens on the podcast stays on the podcast, right? <laughs> Don't cross the beams, Ghostbusters. Him and him and Mason have a great call, man. Yeah, they do. They are outstanding. Okay, Elliot, here's another one, man. We've had a lot on the hockey jersey idea, the third jersey, the third-party jersey. Paul Zulak submits this. Going back to your discussion about wearing a third-party NHL team jersey at a game that does not involve the third party, (laughs) I do not partake in wearing NHL jerseys outside of the two participating teams. However, as a Philadelphia Flyers fan who resides in Carolina for several years, I did often wear hockey jerseys outside of the NHL, most notably my Dmitry Kristich and Alexei Zhitnik Ukrainian national hockey team jerseys. What are your thoughts on this jersey preference? So what Paul is asking, Jeff, if I and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, he's asking if he goes to a game in Carolina and he's wearing a Ukrainian team jersey, is that okay? Yeah, Kristich and Zhitnik specifically. I have to tell you that I give credit to our listeners because we're going into areas I never even thought of. So this is totally off the seat of my pants. I think that's okay. I think a Ukrainian team jersey in a game between Carolina and anyone is okay. <laughs> you know what I think, Fridge? What? Wear whatever you want. Yeah. It's okay. One of my favorite things is going, it's like the jersey watch phenomenon, right? Going to hockey games and finding people wearing the the weirdest jerseys or the most obscure jerseys from various hockey teams. Actually, Elliot, you know what? Which one pops up a lot more, like a lot more than you would think? What's that? Troy Crowder. Do you notice that, like, considering how you know Troy Crowder, like the real tough hockey player, had some very high profile fights, was you know a, a, a name in the NHL. But considering how briefly he was in the NHL, is there not like a disproportionate amount of Troy Crowder jerseys that are out there? That's what I seem to find. I can't give you any statistical evidence on that. <laughs> This is all just a personal experience, just anecdotal. I don't even know how you expect to answer that question, except I'm very happy for Troy Crowder that that might be the case. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe I just, they just find me, but for whatever reason, I find Troy Crowder jerseys everywhere. Okay. From Jonathan, the keepers of the in season cup, grade four and fives. This is a good one. With the increase in COVID cases around the league, can we get an official ruling from the in-season cup commissioner about how we will proceed if a cup game gets canceled or postponed because of COVID? Now, Jonathan says, our class did a quick brainstorm and we came up with two ideas. First, the day... They think about this, man. They're way smarter than us. Uh, First... And they're in grade four, which is even scarier. It's so embarrassing for you and me. It's so bad. (laughs) First, the days with the cup will be frozen until the team can play its next game, like the All-Star slash Olympic Christmas break. Second... I like that. I like that. Second... I think that's good. Is that if the team with the cup gets shut down, they would relinquish the cup to the team they were planned to originally play, i.e., hang on, listen to Jonathan. If Dallas got shut down tonight, December 1st, and Carolina would be the new champs. No, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. And I'll, I'll say why. I think that, first of all, I agree with if a team, for example, Dallas has the in-season cup, if they're shut down, yes, their days with the cup get frozen. But they're not losing the cup. You're not losing the cup because of COVID. You are a coach. You are such a co- You sound like a coach. Because all I can hear is various hockey coaches that I've either had or my kids have or the just here always saying one thing. 
You never let a player injure him or herself out of the lineup. Yeah, but that happens. So that's BS. Like, that does occur. <laughs> to ask Wally Pip about that, did he ever get back in the lineup? No, he Ooh, never got yeah, back in the lineup. That's a, that's a good one. So if a team uh, shuts down, the cup gets frozen. That's the answer. Because in theory, they're going to make up those games, right? Uh, yes. You've not thought a second about this, though. Well, excuse me, when I was in high school, I didn't know what COVID was. That was 1987. <laughs> no, but for this season's in-season cup, you did not think about this for a second until no, Jonathan. because you know I just assumed that COVID would be solved by from now, the four-five class. The world was definitely trending in that direction. In Oakville, is putting us to shame with how they think at an elite level, unlike us, still playing with marbles. Um, okay, <laughs> Dale, <laughs> Dale submits this one. I'll get you to to weigh in on this one. But Dale says, what did Jeff think about Ekblad lifting the stick of Farabee in overtime, sending the stick 15 feet in the air? It reminded me of Jeff's... Oh my God, I forgot I used to have this obsession. Reminded me of Jeff's obsession with Chara doing that to opponents. Then Ekblad buried the winner. Philly fans were saying it should have been a penalty. Tim Peel on Twitter said it should have been interference. I say hold your stick tighter, Farabee. No penalty. Great play. Great win. Down here to the near circle, it's Bennett. And it out to the line, gives to Ekblad, Tom the right circle, Huberdeau in close, looks back in front, Ekblad, shot, he scores! The overtime winner, Aaron Ekblad, the Panthers take it, 2-1 in overtime, and the Panthers stay perfect on home ice. You like apples? How do you like them apples? Sam Bennett controls the puck, gets it down, Ekblad, a little give and go with Huberdeau. Ekblad gave it to Huberto. Ekblad walked around his man. Huberto gave it right back to him. And then right from the slot, high to the glove side over Marty Jones. And the Panthers with their 46 shot on net get the 2-1 to one win. Remember when Char went on the spree of like launching sticks into orbit? Yes. I loved it. I completely loved it. I had zero problem with Aaron Ekblad lifting Farabee's stick. He's not holding on to it tight enough. Too bad as far as I'm concerned. And then, you know, Ekblad, who's having a Norris-type season, by the way, we should really point out here. And then Ekblad burying the game winner. I had no problem with all of it, and I loved all of it, and I love people sending sticks into the stands by launching them like Chara, or in this case, Aaron Ekblad. What do you think? While you were you were talking, I went back and I, I watched the replay. Yeah. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> it's funny. And then he scores. You see, like, I, like I, I'll tell you this. Eggblad took advantage of, and when I say take advantage, I don't say it in a, in a bad way. I think Eggblad made a great veteran play at the expense of a, a younger player. Like, I guarantee to you that Farabee's looking at that and saying, that guy just taught me a lesson. Because if you look at it, Farabee's kind of thinking he never expects that Ekblad's going to do it. Never. But Ekblad sees he's got a chance to get Farabee beat and he could get a pass to win the game and he absolutely takes advantage. To me, if I'm looking at that play from Florida's point of view, I'm saying genius veteran school's rookie. But if I'm... Well, he's not a rookie anymore, but you catch my drift. But if I'm looking at it from Philly... Oh, yeah. Ekblad knew exactly what he was doing, and he got away with one. Okay, what a great way to end it, because I love the play. It was sneaky good um, from someone who may win the Norris Trophy this year. He knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, 100%. <laughs> he it's great. Elliot, before you wrap up here on the podcast, we should say a thing or two about a legend in Canadian sports broadcasting, calling it a career after 50 years in the industry. Brian Williams. Um, there have been a lot of great Olympic hosts. We've seen a lot of people hosting the Olympics. I'm really going to miss the quadruple time checks from Brian Williams. Which I always How took. many hometowns did he have? I, listen, the other one we always I talk about. always love the time checks. Uh, oh, there! I, I never knew I could enjoy a quadruple time check like I do when Brian Williams delivered it. But do you have a thought or two on Brian Williams calling it a career? I have many. First of all, a legend. Like There's no question about it. An, an absolute legend of a broadcaster. <laughs> And very fortunate, uh, I had the opportunity to work with him at the CBC. After you know meeting him, he used to come into the fan for roundtables, and he was a presence. And I got a chance to work with him on the CFL on CBC, and what a phenomenal broadcaster he was, and a, and a great storyteller, and 
You know, the, the, the one story I, I do remember was we were doing a game in Ottawa, CFL and CBC. It was Calgary to Ottawa, and there was a, uh, a rain delay. It was a lightning delay, actually. And I had to go out onto the field as we were killing time to interview the referees and the coaches as they were trying to figure out what time the game would start. And it's raining, and I had a CFL on CBC umbrella, and the umbrella... I couldn't use it because it was lightning. <laughs> so there's and and so I had to put the metal umbrella away because that's a story I didn't need. And the other thing I remember about this was I had forgotten my tie that week, so I was borrowing one of Brian's. And so I'm on the field and I'm I'm interviewing Tom Higgins was the coach of the Stampeders and the referees and I'm giving reports back, and after I throw back, I hear Brian, can I still talk to Elliot? Can I still talk to Elliot? He's he's on the line. And I go, oh, yeah, Brian, I can still hear you. He goes, where is your umbrella? Young man, why are you out there without an umbrella? <laughs> and I said, Brian, the umbrella has metal in it, and I don't feel like getting hit by lightning right now. <laughs> and all I heard was this high-pitched laugh that literally blew my IFB out of my ear. Like He thought that was the the funniest thing around. You know, he had a high standard for himself. He was mad at me because he had to get that tie dry clean, and it was one of his favorite ties. <laughs> he was just like such a high standard for himself, a brilliant broadcaster, the amount of preparation he did. That was the thing that really stood out to me, what he expected about himself. Mm-hmm. He'd make the smallest mistake on the broadcast, and he'd be so mad. I loved listening and learning around him. He was a he was a very 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 generous teammate. He was very good about setting us up. And you know, Elliot, did you feel you got enough to do on the broadcast? And it's not something I ever really care about. But he wanted to know. He wanted me to know that you know I was a part of his team. I, I really loved working with him. Brian Williams, take a bow. Heck of a career. Uh, really quick, um, before we get to the takeout music, um, Amal Delich, our producer extraordinaire, will be updating the 32 Thoughts music playlist for season five. That'll be on Spotify next week. There we go. Uh, meanwhile, taking us out, an award-winning trumpeter, composer, and band leader whose collaborations run deep. Marquise Hill has released 12 records in the last 10 years. Busy. Each with its own unique sound. From his 2018 recording, Modern Flows, Volume 2, here's Marquise Hill featuring Brandon Alexander-Williams with It Takes a Village on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. It takes a village to raise a village. Paul Paul sit on porch, he been peeped. Body language is like 90%, might be 95. High to defense, time and intense. Memory going, but muscle memory still intact. He know what to be doing when the energy gets moving. He used to be get off my lawn, Twitter. Now he Gary from Chicago. Eyes squinting at iPhone and burst mode, crashing the Oscars. He knew addition to fun grandpa roster. He been overstood the rain. King patriarch, family planet, wheel mechanic, never quit moving. He been retiring for a minute, but this time feel different. Experience one of a tribe, none of a kind. Motor oil in the grooves of his fingerprint. Now he just watch cars go by, by his sidewalk. And recently, he stopped being scared of black youth that look like he did once upon a time, y'all. Police can't line chalk, ask me why. Cause he been saw nuances too often and create peace before quarrels start between two answers caught between few children playing unfair. Talk my eye, don't you touch a hair. Don't touch my own. Elder set that tone, all while matriarch whipping love up in that home. House smell like a fire Thanksgiving food truck. You can't be in a bad mood, bruh. Around aromas that make your nose hairs do the sailboat and the 40s and the footwork. Summertime, Wendy, Mr. Field, and Miss Lorna, the block watchers, small talkers that spit legit advice and spot awkward movement like what you doing. Can I hear?